Before I'd like to ask if you'll stand with me, I want to read some scripture with you this evening, and I want to give you a challenge. Uh, the bulk of what I'm going to say tonight really is for our church family, but I'm going to include everybody in it this evening. And, uh, you know, one of the questions that has been kind of a, a buzz around our church the last couple of months is, we've seen what God has done for 20 years. How do you, how do you sustain it? And that's a big question. If you're, you're in the corporate world, you know that one of the big words about just business as an ongoing entity is, is sustainability. How do, you, how do you keep it going? How do you keep the momentum going? How do, what, do you, what are the plans for the next 20 years? What are you going to do? And I want you to see a, a thought that's found in Nehemiah chapter 2. In your notes tonight, you'll find your notes. We have a handout inside there. So if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The notes are in there with the scriptures. And I want you just to, to listen tonight. As we read Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to see a few thoughts, and then we're going to let you go. But some thoughts that are very critical for us as we, we look at this evening. It's not just about a celebration, but it's also about that key word of sustainability. How do we sustain what has been established here? And it's not us, per se, but it is us in terms of partnering together with God and see what the Lord's going to do. And I want you to notice in the book of Nehemiah, it's an Old Testament book, chapter 2. And in verse 11, it says this, Nehemiah wrote this, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Let's pause for a minute. Nehemiah took an, took an unpaid leave of absence from a very well-paying job. Let me repeat that. He took an unpaid leave of absence from a very well-paying job, a very prestigious job, to go back to the city of Jerusalem to view a city that once was, its history and past still glittered. But what he saw after the city had been under many years of Persian captivity, Babylonian then Persian captivity, that there were some things as the Jews were making their, their return back to the city of Jerusalem that the, the city walls had not been repaired. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, of Babylon had come in with an invasion and invaded the city broke down the walls, and history supports this. By the way, history, as you read through the Bible, history supports the validity of the Word of God and uh, the veracity of the Word of God. And so these walls for over 70 years, maybe about 90 years, had not been rebuilt. And you'll see a couple of key words in the first four chapters that are very bothering. He talks about the rubble, the dirt, the debris, the junk, the garbage. 
And Nehemiah goes on this unpaid leave of absence, and we'll say more about it in a minute, to view these walls. And he does this at night. He's doing, a, he's doing a survey trip. And as you look at the words we've just read, it says he viewed. It doesn't mean he just took a glance. He stood there in the night with maybe a torch in his hand. And he looked for a long time at what used to be. What used to be. But no longer was there. And as he went there, he did not tell the leaders of that town of, of Jerusalem what he was going to do because he probably would have gotten some pushback. He probably would have been told, don't do it, don't waste your time because he came as an outsider. He hadn't been there for many, many years. And it says here that he didn't tell them what was going on. He didn't tell them what was in his heart. The time came after he did the survey, he viewed several very critical weak points of this wall. And notice verse 17, he now makes his entryway to those leaders to tell them why he came. Because he came with this small delegation, but this small delegation brought a huge amount of supplies and people watching him as they entered that gate were wondering, what's he doing with all this lumber? And what's he doing with these people here? What's going on here? What's, you know, we've got all this mortar and lumber and things, what's going on? And what you notice verse 17, then said I to them, and said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the walls of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, notice that they responded to him. They said, let us rise up and build. Notice this next phrase. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Would you read that back with me together? Let's read that together. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Would you read that again together with me? So they strengthened their hands for their, this good work. Tonight, for a few moments, I'd like you to indulge me and just listen to me very carefully as I talk about the importance of strengthened hands. Sustainability in anything we do we must have the hand of God. By the way, that's mentioned there. He had God's hand on his life. By the way, how many believe tonight without the hand of God, we're not going to make it? Amen? But we must have strengthened hands. And I want you to see for a few moments tonight how the importance of strengthened hands is the key to sustainability with the hand of God first and foremost on our lives. You may be seated. I want to begin tonight by thanking you for attending our church's 20th anniversary banquet. It means a lot to me, to our leadership team, to our members who've been here for many years and many who labored in that kitchen, labored around here this afternoon and yesterday to serve you. I want to thank the many people who helped make this banquet a blessing, those who are involved with the planning for several months, those who going back a year ago working on the videos and the historical archives and pulling that together for the food purchases this week, for the food preparation, for the logistics and just planning out all of the table arrangements for tonight so that we're able to seat everybody inside this one room, for the wrapping of the utensils, for the tablecloth ironing, for the table decoration. By the way, the table decorations stay on the table. Don't take them home, okay? If you didn't see the sign there. But for the table decoration, for the multiple amount of hands involved with the kitchen help, for the setup, for the serving, 
for the music practices, for the cleaning and the work that will be done tonight. When many of you will be gone, there will be a, a pool of people here helping to get things back in order so we're ready for church on Wednesday night. This is a banquet celebrating God's blessings and goodness for the past 19 years as we start our 20th year. It's a banquet celebrating hundreds and even thousands who have been saved in this church. I was going to do this, but I'm not going to. But I would imagine around the room, if I asked everyone who came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior through this ministry of this church, I would dare to say, just looking around the room, perhaps about two-thirds of the people in this room could stand up and testify they came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior through the ministry of this church. I want to thank God for that. I want to praise God for that. I want you to praise Praise the Lord with me for that. This is a banquet celebrating the hundreds of baptisms of people who become members of this church. It's a, it's a banquet celebrating many hundred uh, hours, man hours of loving labor every week, working in the nursery, the preparation of Sunday school lessons, of uh, singing, of rehearsal, nursery workers and drivers, drivers who get here very early in the morning to pick up the routes, uh, teachers, ushers, cleaning. Even while we're here tonight, we have men watching the cars in both parking lots tonight for your security and safety, and they'll be out there as you make your way out tonight. We thank the Lord for all of those things. I want to say tonight, this is, this is my church. This is your church. Amen? This is my church, and this is your church. But first and foremost, this is God's church. It's God's church. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. It's the house of the living God. It's a house of prayer. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The church was so important to Jesus Christ, he gave some very colorful analogies. He said the church is likened to a building. And as someone comes to know Christ as Savior, another stone is added to that building. He likens the church to a body. Every one of us are members of that body. Every member is important to that body. He likens the church to a bride. He calls us the bride of Christ. That's a very fond and intimate description he has for his church. God loves his church. And so tonight, I'm preaching a sermon that comes to us for a few moments that goes along with our theme from Exodus 14, 15 about going forward. This is a message for our founding members. This is a message for our faithful members. This is a message for first-time members. We have uh, three who were baptized this morning that will be uh, ratifying the membership in a couple of weeks here. This is a message for all of us tonight. It's for those who are contemplating membership in the church. And many of you, I pray that this year, this will be the year that you're going to make Heritage Baptist Church your church home. We are his members. But we're looking at a, at a passage where we see a very difficult situation. And people, most of which we don't even know their names right now. We will one day in eternity but they decided they were going to be all in. They decided that all hands would be on deck. They decided they were going to be involved and to make a difference. You see, Nehemiah, as we look at this book in the early chapter here of chapter 1, Nehemiah was a Jew who had a well-paying job in Persia. At that time, the king's name was Artaxerxes. In fact, chapter 1, verse 1 tells us it was in the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes in the month Chizilu, which would be about, uh, in our calendar, about November, December's time. And it was at that time that Nehemiah was, was at the peak of his career. He had a well-paying job. He had a very trusted job. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah 1.11 that he was the king's cupbearer. Now, I've heard a lot of descriptions about that, but you must understand a cupbearer was a very, very well-paid position. A cupbearer was the one who would taste and sample the food for the king. He had to be on the lookout for everything. So that meant if the king was to be poisoned, and poisoning was a big thing back in those days, and many, many, many 
many cultures, if they wanted to get to the king, they would try to get somebody in there surreptitiously, and they would poison, they would put poison in the drink or poison in the food. So the cupbearer was the one who had to sample the food. If someone was going to go down first, it would always be the cupbearer, right? And so it was a very risky job, but it was a very high-paying job. It was one where this man would be thoroughly checked out. His back, you talk about back, checking out his background, the cupbearer would be thoroughly checked out there. And they had to make sure this man could be thoroughly trusted because the king would be in a position where he could make a lot of demands and commands, but he had very few close friends. The cupbearer became someone very close to the king. Sometimes the king would bear his heart and unload his burdens, and it would happen to be the cupbearer. So Nehemiah was what, what I would call in a very envied position. He would know about advanced strategies and decisions the king was contemplating about much before the council that the king had because he would bounce those ideas off him. The cupbearer was not someone that was unintelligent. He had to be highly competent. He had to be highly intelligent. He had to be someone that could be well trusted. So you look at this man, Nehemiah. He was, a very, he was in a very well-paying situation, but we must remember one thing. Nehemiah was a Jew 100% at heart. As a Jew, he had a love for the city of Jerusalem. He, he, was, he was born during the time, the latter years of the 70-year captivity, when the Jews were taken by Nebuchadnezzar, and God had designed this, that they would have to stay in Babylon for 70 years. Persia was the new rule, world order that came up. Persia, the Medes and Perds, to Persians, took over and, 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 dom, and overcame the Babylonians. And so during that time, Nehemiah is making his way there. He's in the palace there. He's become a cupbearer. He's in he's in the peak of his career and it happens to be that Nehemiah gets a visit one day he gets a visit from his brothers. Brothers mentioned there, Hananiah. His brother comes in with a delegation of men. And, uh, of course, he's so, so delighted to see his brother. He hadn't seen kinfolk for a while there. He's up there in the, in the city of Shushan where the palace of the king was, the winter palace. And so he's so delighted to see his brother there in this delegation. But Nehemiah, as they got through the chit-chat, they were talking about, well, how was this and how was that and how was your journey? Immediately he cut to the chase. And as he cut to the chase, he asked a question. Notice in chapter 1, he asked a question. He asked him, concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Now, as a Jew at heart, he knew all about what was going on. He knew what would have been done and not what not had been done. But he was concerned. Had any work been done on the walls? Had any work been done about the fortification of the city? You see, in those days, you would build a wall around your city. Walls represented protection. Walls represented the idea that you were, you were, you were, you were concerned about your city and its, its well-being, and you had wealth in that city, and you had people that were important to you, and you would put walls around that city to protect the city from outsiders coming and invading them, because that was a big thing in those days. So Nehemiah remembered the day when the walls were burnt down. He remembered the gates had been burned down. He remembered that there was the charred remains of gates and things of that nature. It was fresh in his mind. And so he's concerned, and he asks his brothers, hoping that he'll get a good report, that somebody undertook the, 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 uh, the burden of rebuilding these walls. So he asked them concerning the Jews. He says, How's a, how are our people doing? And how is the wall doing? And how is the city doing? And we notice here that, that Nehemiah gets a report that, is, uh, that kind of sets the stage for our message tonight. And the report he received, number one, pointed to their vulnerability. The vulnerability, we use the word, talks about weak points. When you do an assessment, some of you in the corporate world, you do what they call a SWOT plan. And a SWOT plan is where you evaluate strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You want to know 
Where are you weak at because you want to bolster and strengthen that? You want to, you want to remove those weaknesses. Now, as a family, we don't, call it a sweat, we don't call it a SWAT plan, but we evaluate our home. We make sure our windows are locked and our doors are locked, and we make sure we get home at a decent time and all these types of things. We're concerned about weaknesses and threats. And Nehemiah, as he hears this report, you'll notice here that he sees the vulnerability of the city. He's told in verse, verse 3 by his brothers, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. I want you to imagine with me the city of Jerusalem. Do we have that map for that? I want you to notice the city of Jerusalem, this map here. The city was about three miles around. Three miles of walls that they once had, and multiple numbers of gates were broken. If you were an enemy that wanted to take over that city, if you look at that map, you could have attacked it from north, south, east, or west, because every part of that city was vulnerable. It had weaknesses. It was open game. So there was concern. The Jews that were coming, that had made their way back home, they were concerned because where, you're, where there's a vulnerability, you have exposure. You have weakness. The gates thereof, he says, are burned down with fire. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And so when you look at this, when you don't take care of your city, you're vulnerable to attack. When you don't have the proper walls to keep the enemy out, you are vulnerable. When, listen, when you don't take care of your soul, you are, you are vulnerable. You don't take care of your church, you are vulnerable. Amen? You don't take care of your church, you don't take care of your soul, you are vulnerable. Now tonight, I'm, I'm gonna, this is a rallying, this tonight is a rallying point. Because a lot of us here in the room, it's time for us to go forward. We've seen a lot about the past. Thank God for the past, amen? But we're not living in the past, we're going forward. We're spending the rest of our life in the future. From this point on, we thank God we're gonna look back at times and we're gonna reminisce and we're gonna think about all the good things and the blessings of God and we need to do that because the psalmist said, as long as I have breath, I will praise the Lord. But we're going forward. We need to go forward. And we ask us, it says tonight that when we don't take care of the walls, when things are broken down, we have to understand that we are vulnerable. You're vulnerable to failing. You're vulnerable to sin. Programs fail. Ministries fail. The church fails. Listen, I want all the ministry leaders here today, tonight, without me having to go into specifics, I want every ministry here, leader here tonight to think about walls that are broken down and those ministries that need to get repaired this year. I want all of us to think about our home lives and our families of walls that need to be rebuilt and fixed up, gates that are burned down with fire. Why? Because if we don't look at those vulnerabilities and deal with those vulnerabilities and those weaknesses, it's going to be very difficult for us to go forward. Look again at that map. In that map, we see that, that they had all these exposures there that could have come in. And so Nehemiah, when he heard that, he knew enough about, about city planning and civil engineering and all those things. He knew enough about all of that to realize we have a problem here because no wonder the people are not motivated. And there are no nobles and rulers and Jews and leaders or priests that are willing to take on the responsibility that was there. Here was a city that God at one time had given his blessing to. He had his hand upon him, but it became vulnerable and at high risk of another takeover because nobody took time or concern to do something about those walls. Now notice number one, they were vulnerable, but notice number two, there was vexation. 
Now, vexation is a word that describes anxiety, concern, worry. The other day, uh, some of our staff got in a little bit early, and we got a report of an accident that was here at the corner of Fairway and Merced, right here by the La Pinata restaurant. First response all of us had as staff members as the report came out from Brother Daniel, we hope it's not one of our church members. We have vexation. This past Monday, we had the uh, opportunity of doing the celebration of life service for a lady who came in contact with our church, came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior, and as the family got there early to be with the family, and uh, most of the family has never come to our church before, and I just tried to comfort them and be a blessing to them, but for that whole time we were there, you could sense vexation of heart and spirit. We, we were all going to go through vexation. We're going to have moments and seasons where we're, we have uh, trials and difficulties, anxieties. I want you to notice Nehemiah was a man experiencing vexation. Notice in chapter 1 and verses 411, I'm just going to summarize for you some things. He wept and he mourned when he heard the report. He fasted. He prayed and confessed his sins and the sins of the people. Nehemiah was concerned about the situation Jerusalem in. Listen, that's amazing because here is a man who is a very well-paid professional, hundreds of miles, in fact, several hundred miles away from Jerusalem where he was located at in Shushan, the palace. He was in a well-paying job, well-paying situation, and yet when he heard the report, the Bible says he broke down, he cried, and he wept, and he fasted, and he mourned for certain days, and he got alone in his room somewhere, and in secret he confessed his sins first and the sins of his people. He went back and studied the scriptures as we look at chapter 1. And in the scriptures, he saw how God had promised Moses and passed down to the, to, the, to, the, to the Jews that if you honor me and keep my commandments, I will honor you. And he thought about how the people had become vulnerable because of disobedience on their part and going away from God. And so as a result of this, now he's looking at this situation and he's thinking about the, the, this wonderful history of the city. But he said, but as he thought about it, he remembered the days of blessings, but he didn't want the city to be a part of history and just a memory. He was thinking, listen, this is not good. Well, I'm getting a report that the walls are burned down and the gates thereof are, are burned with fire. There's just rubble and charred remains. He says, I don't want us to just to be a, a living memory. I don't want us to be a memory of the past. I don't want us to talk about the good old days. I don't want it to be settled that the good old days are there. Hey, I want to say to Heritage Baptist Church this morning, listen, thank God for the good old days, but if that's all we have, we don't have a future. Thank God for the good old days, but thank God for the coming days. Because with the coming days, there has to be vision, and there has to be faith, and there has to be an opportunity to sing what God wants us to see to get accomplished here. And so Nehemiah is weeping and crying because he's thinking about the fact we may just be a memory of the past. We faded off the minds of our leaders and our rulers and people like that. They've gotten older, and they've gotten more affluent, and they've had all these things happen in their lives, and they have forgotten what's going on there. Now let me give you an application. Beloved, I've said this earlier, and I'll say again, we cannot live in our past accomplishments. We cannot allow our church to be stuck with our spiritual enemies at our back trying to overcome us in a great dread sea in front of us and wondering how do we go forward and what do we do. It should bother us more people are not getting saved, members. It should bother us that we're not doing more. It should bother us tonight that, uh, that the ministry, that there may be ministries that are diminishing and you're part of that ministry and you're just going along, floating along with that. And I'm not saying things are bad, things are good, but I mean things can always be better. Amen. And I think tonight as we look at that, we see vexation. Nehemiah was a man hundreds of miles away. Listen, he didn't have to get involved. He didn't have to get involved. He, I got a well-paying job. I'm trusted by the king. And he could have said somebody needs to do something about it. You know what God was doing in his heart? He decided that somebody had to be him. 
He got a burden in his heart, a concern in his soul about what's going on. So we see Nehemiah who sees the vulnerabilities. We see Nehemiah who has a vexation. Notice we see Nehemiah in his vision. You go to chapter 2, notice verses 11 to 17. In chapter 1, Nehemiah is praying to God. He asks God to send him to Jerusalem. He's asking God, would you work on the king's heart to give me a leave of absence? Now remember, this is November, December in our calendar when he starts praying about what to do about this matter. Now we read to chapter 2, and now it's in the month, what we would call the month of April on our calendar. Four months have gone by. He's been praying. He's asking God, Lord, you need to make a way. I need to get permission from the king to go to Jerusalem. I need permission from the king to let me go and help to rebuild those walls. I need permission from the king to provide the finances to get this done. And we read chapter 2 amazingly in verses 1 to 9, which we don't have time to get into. God answers every one of his prayers. By the way, as we've watched over 20 years, we have a God who answers prayers. Amen. And God answered his prayers, and God was working in the situation. And the king notices Nehemiah's very burden, and sees what's wrong. And Nehemiah sees what's going on, and he sympathizes with Nehemiah. He says, Nehemiah, he says, listen, if you want to go back, here's what I want you to do. Tell me when you're going to come back. Basically said, tell me when you're going to return. I'll let you go. And he let him go. And then he signed off some letters to some governors so that he could go there and get permission from entryway to entryway. And he got permission. And then he was able to get a man to, to uh, provide and supply him with some lumber and the finances he needed to get this massive wall rebuilt there. And so Nehemiah goes there. Notice what we read tonight in verses 11 to 17. Nehemiah arrives there in Jerusalem and is on a three-day survey trip. And the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, that he rose in the night. He took a few men with him, but he didn't really tell them what was on his heart. He had some things to share, but it wasn't time to tell them what was on his heart. And Nehemiah gets on his horse. It was on his own horse, and he rode around there at night, perhaps with a torch in his hand. Now, I don't know about you, but if you don't have good light, it's hard to see at night. And he purposely went around specific kind of gates. And it's mentioned here the different gates he went to. It starts off in verse 13, that he went to the gate of the valley. And then he went to the dragon well, to the dung port. And he viewed the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, while he's there, he's doing a survey of the various walls and the burned out gates and the charred remains. And he turned back, went by the gate of the valley, and so returned. He made this survey trip. He slowly rode his horse and went there. And he looked at all the remains and the broken walls and what was going on on there. And as he looked at those things, the Bible says God started working his heart. Would you notice in verses 11 to 17, several times it tells us that he viewed, Nehemiah was getting a vision. A vision is being able to see things that have not yet occurred. He had a vision of things that were, but things that should be. He had a vision of things that needed to be. He got a vision in his mind of these walls getting rebuilt. He had a vision of people coming back into the city and inhabiting it. He had a vision of real estate values coming back up. He had a vision of God being worshipped. He had a vision of God doing some great things, but he realized somebody had to do something about it. And he looked at himself as one man. He says, I can't get it done. I'm just one man. Yes, I've got financing from the king, and I've got a few men with me that are going to do it, but it's not me that's going to have to do it. And he went back into the city. Notice verse 17. He went back to the city in verse 17. He now goes to those rulers, and he says to them, would you notice this? Ye see the distress that we are in. Notice it wasn't their problem. He said, it's our problem. Can I say this tonight? It's not pastor's church. It's our church. I said it's our church. Amen. It's our church, okay? You heard testimonies tonight from various wonderful members, and I wish we had time to get many more, many more testimonies. But he said, you see the distress that we are in. He said, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates are burned with fire. You know what's happening? The leaders got the place. They got used to seeing the rubble. They got used to seeing non-productivity. 
They got used to seeing walls that were broken and charred remains of the gates. They just got used to them and they became to somewhat indifferent to the fact that they could be subject to attack and they had these vulnerabilities. And Nehemiah said, no, it, we can't leave it that way. He said, I, listen, I came Percy Downer. I took an unpaid leave of absence to come here to help rebuild these walls. He said, but listen, I can't do it by myself. We've got to get it together. Notice in verse 17, he's casting vision with them. He says, you see the distress we're in. He says, look, take a good look, guys. He said, nobles, and leaders and Jews and priests and others. He said, I want you to go look out your window. Look at, those, look at the rubble there. Look at those burned down gates and look at the broken walls and look what, look what used to be there. And remember how glorious the city used to be. And he says, look at it over here, what, what the sit, situation we're in. And he's encouraging them. He says, they, they, there, there needs to be some vision here. And he said, come. And he said, let us build up the walls of Jerusalem. He's telling them, we've got to go forward. He, say, he was saying what Solomon said, where there's no vision, the people perish. He's casting a vision for them of things it can be. Hey, I want you to imagine with me things that could be. Can you imagine a church that, that in, in the years to come, a more property that we can purchase for parking, a more property we can add to build more buildings up? And can you imagine several hundred more people being added to the church? And can you imagine extension ministries around the Bay Area? Because we've got so many people coming from different parts for, for commuting purposes. It might be more, more beneficial for us to start a church over that area. Can you imagine more Ted Mungs that are be commissioned and sent out of Heritage Baptist Church as missionaries and preachers around the world? Can you imagine for my Hispanic-speaking members of the church, can you imagine God calling out and raising up Spanish-speaking men to be preachers of the gospel? Can you imagine for our Chinese-speaking men here tonight, God calling and raising men to go out into China and places where there's Chinese-speaking people? Can you imagine for my Vietnamese-speaking friends here tonight, can you imagine to me tonight, God calling some men to preach and going to Vietnam in communities where there's large Vietnamese people and reaching for Christ? Can you imagine with me for all my Filipino friends, can you imagine everywhere you go in the world, there's Filipinos everywhere. Can you imagine with me going to God calling some men out of this church raising them as preachers and starting churches I mean that's the kind of vision Nehemiah had that's the kind of vision we need to have as a church to realize and see it's all about not, not about the advancement Heritage Baptist Church it's about the gospel being preached about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven vision involves people church let's not get weary of reaching people and serving people helping people people is our business amen Vision inspires people. I want you to get inspired about a church, but some of you sitting here don't remember or even realize what we're sitting on used to be an open field. There used to be picnic benches here that if you sat on it, you'd got wood in your back of your leg, amen? Awning that had to be painted. Old playground equipment that we had to yellow tape. That was terrible. How many remember that, Amen. On special days, we'd put pumpkin patches. We'd make it a pumpkin patch. One day, one of our families lovingly worked the field and turned it into a corn maze. This used to be a field. That courtyard used to be where an old metal fellowship hall was. How many remember the old metal building fellowship hall? Now, if you think it's warm in here, I need to take you back some time to that fellowship hall during the summer. It could, be, it could be 80 degrees outside and 110 degrees inside that fellowship building once you get about 100 bodies in there. Our, we had a building banquet in there one time. Seating capacity in there is not even 100. We squeezed 240 people in that room. How many of you remember that night? Dr. Greg Baker preached for us. Remember that? That was, that was a very warm night. We had needless to say. 
That courtyard, some of you don't know this, we had a wedding there just this past summer. There was a beautiful wedding that had 300 people sitting down there very comfortably there for the wedding. The Berean Center used to be our visitor parking. Said in 2007, the city said we couldn't build and we didn't know what to do. And to the, to, to the glory of God, six months to the day was a Thursday afternoon. They said you couldn't build. And six months later, to, to the glory of God, without any solicitation pushing on our part, they came back to us. The building department said, Pastor Fong, we've reconsidered your plans. We're not going to let you build three, but we'll let you build two. Are you willing to take it? And I said, we'll take it. Amen. That, you know, and these buildings are a testimony to God's grace. And those who've been involved with our giving by faith banquets, this incredible amount of sacrifice has been given, and people have set aside and been very prudent with their finances to participate in this. I'm just saying today, vision inspires people about people being reached and people being saved. So notice Nehemiah is at this critical point. Would you notice we're almost done? Nehemiah, Nehemiah here sees the vulnerabilities. Nehemiah has vexation. Nehemiah has a vision. Would you notice now if Nehemiah's gone to the people, would you notice Nehemiah and the volunteers? Here's the good part. As he speaks to these people, he's talking to them, wondering how they will respond because they haven't responded on their own. They have shown no initiative about doing something about those broken walls and the burned down gates and the charred remains. And nobody's done anything about seeing the garbage. And I don't know about you, around church here, it drives me nuts when I see garbage on the floor. It drives me nuts when I see paper there. It drives me nuts when I see stains on the carpet. It drives me nuts when I see something broken there and we want to get it fixed. And I'm thankful we've got men and women who just get involved and seeing those things like that. And Nehemiah was the same way. It was bothering him that he saw this rubble and stuff around, around the, the property there at, at, in Jerusalem. He says, somebody's got to do something about it. And so in verse 17, he appeals to them and he casts vision with these people and he tells them, come, let us build up the walls of Jerusalem. He's already painted in their mind what they were, but what they could be. Can I help you tonight? You know what we've been, but can you imagine what we could be? Can you imagine where we could go? Can you imagine what God wants to do? Can you imagine that the Bible says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think? Can you imagine today? It doesn't matter if you're 50 or 60 or 70. There's still room for a lot more vision for God to do some great things through this church. Amen? And so we look at over here. God is working through these people. And he's talking to them. He says, let's build up the walls of Jerusalem that we be no more reproach. And something about that moment of time as Nehemiah said that, it registered with every heart. It clicked within their minds. It stirred something inside of them. And notice the people, if you would, these volunteers come forward. He gives them, the, he gives them this report in verse 17. And then notice in verse 17, we, he gives this recommendation to them. He says, let's go forward. And then notice in verse 18, this is so key. In verse Verse 18, we get the response. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. I don't need to repeat tonight what you've seen on the video. The hand of God has been good upon Heritage Baptist Church. And he's not done with us yet. And he's not done with you yet. He says, the hand of my God was good upon me. He told them how all of it unfolded. And he said also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, now notice the response. Now this is the same group, and just a few verses earlier, didn't want to do anything. They were not moved. They were not motivated. They were not inspired. They didn't see any sense of doing anything. And they, they were just sitting there. And Nehemiah gets up, and I believe he's endued by the Spirit of God, and God's got a control of him. And he says, you see the distress that we are in? Let's go build up the wall. Let's do something about it. Let's go do something for God. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so verse 18 tells us, which is a thought for our, our message tonight. So the people strengthened their hands for this good work. The, the response here is, they said, let's, let's put our hands in it. That The Bible says here, they strengthened their hands. That means literally, they put all their hands in. All hands were in. All hands were on deck, as the naval officers would say. 
They jumped in and got involved. They took courage for this endeavor. They made a decision that they would get involved. They made a decision that they would sacrifice. They made a decision they would stand next to each other and get it done. They made up their minds that they were in this to prevail. They said they strengthened their hands for this good work. The strength in their hands means once we get in, we're not going to stop until it's done. We're going to keep going. And I'm calling upon us as a church tonight and those of you who are guests and visitors, let us strengthen our hands for this good work. Let's jump in and get it done. Let's jump in and prevail. Let's go forward with the vision of God. Let's go forward and see more people saved. Let's go forward. Those of you who had ministries that are somewhat diminishing a little bit, go back in there with a new charge tonight and rebuild those ministries. Rebuild those Sunday school classes. Rebuild those bus routes. Rebuild those clubs. Rebuild those Bible studies. Get back in there and make a few more calls and go after some new people and realize that we've got lots of people in our area that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And realize tonight, we need to strengthen our hands for this good work. This is not a work for lone rangers. This is not a work where you go this way and that way. We need to get involved together and synergize our efforts and resources to get the work of God done for his glory. The people were united. It's been a long time since they were like that. Get involved. Re-enlist. Roll up your sleeves. Everyone be an evangelistic, soul-winning volunteer. Everyone be a ministry volunteer. Thank God this morning we gave, we asked the men how many men could help us to just put away several hundred chairs in here and roll out the tables and probably within a 20-minute time, our men got it done. We put out a report and asking for people, can you help in various capacities? They show up and they're there. We still have people even up to 5 o'clock tonight. Pastor, is there anywhere we can help? Is there someone with something we can do? I feel like I'm useless, and, and, and I like that spirit. That's a good spirit to have. What can I do to help out there? And listen, tonight, everyone can be involved. We look at here. We see the volunteers. They strengthen their hands for this good work. Listen, let's strengthen our hands for this good work. Hey, Heritage Baptist Church is a good work. Serving in the nursery is a good work. Serving on the buses is a good work. Knocking on doors, inviting people to church is a good work. Uh, praying for your family members to come to Christ is a good work. Singing in the choir is a good work. Playing in the orchestra is a good work. Doing the cleaning that will follow is a good work. Everything that's about this church, there's nothing that's a small detail or small effort. Everything about church is a good work. Building up our families is a good work. Helping be a part of our adult growth groups is a good work. And he said this is a good work. The Bible says they strengthened their hands for this good work. We need to be convinced in our mind God's work is a good work tonight. Amen? And so we... Nehemiah starts off with seeing these vulnerabilities and he's filled with vexation and Nehemiah has a vision and we see Nehemiah now gets volunteers. Would you notice the volume and we're almost done. Someone has said many hands make good work. We get to chapters three and four and man, what an incredible account of all these hands getting involved. All hands were on deck. Volume refers to size. There were no gaps. As we look at chapter 3, there were no gaps. We find everyone's assembled. You look back at that map from the, from the top all the way around. Everyone, there's numerous families and people and households that are assembled around, that, around, that, around the whole perimeter of, 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 of Jerusalem. And you look at that map, you, look, you read chapter 3, and it says this, next unto him, and next unto him, and next unto him, and next unto him. And the description of all the various gates that needed to be rebuilt. We're talking about people that got involved, people that were once disinterested. They got, they 
strengthened her hands for this good work and they got involved and next unto him and next unto him. And notice the Bible describes that there were no delays, there were no divided interests. They repaired, they built, they labored. In Nehemiah 4, 6 it says, so built we the wall and all the wall was joined together to the half thereof for the people had a mind to work. Now thank God for his hand upon us, but God puts his hand upon us so that we can put some effort and energy behind it so that something can happen. They labored in the work, and as they did so, there was great volume. The volume helped to get it done. I, I mean, we don't have to be rocket scientists or MBA majors to figure out the more that are involved, the more that gets done. Amen? More was done in spite of the opposition. More was accomplished. I read the story about a, a pygmy in Africa who had killed a rhinoceros and was standing over it. And a man who was a safari hunter came up upon the scene and he saw this pygmy standing on top of the rhinoceros and the pygmy was short in stature and, and, as a people group. And, and he looked and he says, he says Sir, did, did, did you kill that rhinoceros yourself? And he, and he, says, he, said, to, he said, yeah, the, I, the, I had a part in killing this rhinoceros. He says, well, what did you kill him with? He said, with my club. And the man's thinking, you know, a battering club. He said, your club? How big is your club? He said, oh, there's about 300 of us in this club that killed this rhinoceros. <laughs> it's volume. Many hands. And as we close tonight, notice the victory. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, the work was finished in 52 record-breaking days. Can you imagine that? Blows my mind. I wish we could have built this building in 52 record-breaking days. Amen? I wish we could have built the Berean Center 52 record-breaking days. Many hands made great work. They strengthened their hands for this good work. What's amazing is not just the record-breaking number of days it took them to do this because they stayed by it every day until it was done. What's amazing, it tells us later on, if you look at chapter 6 there, let me just read this to you and then we're done. It says this in verse, verse 15, the wall was finished. And then verse 16 says, And it came to pass when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen, the nations who were about them, saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. And here's, here's what I want you to listen to. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Now here's the key thing. Here's the key thing. God helped them to get it done. Amen? God helped them to get it done. Here, here's the amazing thing, okay? The work was finished. God's not finished with us. There's more to be done. Church is not a social club. Church is the house of the living God. Thank God for fellowship. But what drive, the engine that drives the church is just a service like this. We meet for God's word because God's word is the, the ensemble saying tonight changes lives. It's the word of truth. God's word, God's word is timeless. It's unchanging. It changes our lives. We serve a living God who's powerful and great. There's more to be done. They finished the work in 52 record-breaking days. There's a lot of work to be done. The songwriter said, we'll work till Jesus comes. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And tonight I'm going to issue a challenge to all of our members our attendees tonight, and those of you who are new to the church, would you join Pastor Fong tonight, my pastoral staff, and our deacons who work very hard. And by the way, our deacons this past year really worked extremely hard for this building. Would you join us tonight? 
and strengthen our hands for this good work? I'm going to ask you to accept the challenge tonight and join in. We'll worry about where you fit and where along the wall you're going to stand. But I want to issue a challenge tonight, whether you're English-speaking or non-English-speaking, whether you're new to the church, you've been in the church for a long time, would you strengthen your hands for this good work? And then tonight, I want you to think about something else. Nehemiah and the Jews finished that work in 52 record-breaking days. Do you know there was another work that was finished that's very important for some people here tonight? There was a work that was finished 2,000 years ago on a place called Golgotha or Calvary. And that finished work was when God's son, Jesus Christ, accomplished God's purpose in dying for the sins of all the world. Jesus' last words he cried on the cross is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. It is finished. To tell us I. And though we're talking about a work that was finished there by men, you and I cannot accomplish our salvation to go to heaven. What Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and I, he died for all our sins. He died for every sinner. He died for your sins and mine and rose again for that. Listen, go, you go check it out. Every religious leader that's ever been born, there's no religious leader that died for his people. There's no religious leader that met the qualification of God to die as an acceptable substitute for sins. Jesus Christ finished the work of God. He finished the need for salvation by dying for your sins and mine. I'm thankful that on December 4th, 1971, on that night at 1030 in the evening, on the couch of my father's, in my father's home, in my family's home there, that I bowed my head and asked Jesus Christ to come to my heart to be my Savior. I'm thankful for 47, 48 years now, Jesus Christ has been my personal Savior. I'm thankful for that night that I accepted Christ and acknowledged that night that the finished work of Christ was done. I'm not worried about my eternal security. Just as we saw this morning in our morning service, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not see condemnation, and is passed from death unto life. Listen, tonight you can be saved because of the finished work of Christ. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have your name written in heaven. You can be sure of the fact that when you leave this life, heaven's your home. You can be sure of the fact that you can become a son of God tonight by simply calling on Jesus Christ to be your Savior right where you're seated around this room. There's two works we're talking about tonight. There's the work of God where we need believers to take a stand and say, listen, we're going to strengthen our hands for this good work. But there's the finished work of Christ where he makes available to you. If you've never received him as Savior, he makes available to you to receive him and call upon him to save you from your sins. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. Two questions, we're done. Thank you for listening so carefully tonight. Question number one is, do you know for certain if you're saved and going to heaven, Jesus died for your sins. God loves you. We've tried as a church with all of our imperfections to help you sense and know that we have a God who loves you very, very much. But God commendeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Where you're seated tonight, maybe God is tugging at your heart because you're not sure you're, going, you're saved and going to heaven. You can't be saved right now. You can be born into God's family. Right where you're seated, you can pray and exercise faith in asking Christ to save you. Here's what you can do. I'm going to lead you in prayer tonight. For some of you this evening, this is your first time, or maybe your umpteenth time, you've heard the invitation about getting saved. How about getting saved tonight on the e our 20th anniversary evening? How about making a memorial tonight on, this, on January 27th, 2019? You took Jesus Christ, your Savior. Here's what you can pray. Wherever you're at in this room, why don't you just let go and let God have his way? Jesus finished it all. He paid it all for you and me. All you've got to do is reach out and take him as Savior. Here's what you can pray tonight, friend. Dear God, I confess tonight that I am a sinner who needs to be saved. 
I believe your son Jesus Christ died for all my sins and rose again from the dead. I accept Jesus right now to come into my life to be my Savior, my God, and my best friend. Thank you for saving me and for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and eyes still closed, nobody looking.